Welcome back to the Biblical History Center podcast. Uh, I am uh, Carlos Cantu, your executive director here with Christy Barker, our director of programming and education. Hi. Hey, there you are. And we've got a special guest today. Uh, Mr. Brian Bullworth, Brian, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. How you doing, Carlos? I'd hardly consider myself special, right? <laughs> well, you, know. you are a special guest, <laughs> and you are a special, and you are our guest today. Uh, but I know that that will come to an end, and we'll talk a little bit more about mm -hmm. that as we get to the end of the show. Uh, but uh, how are you guys? I, I know we just uh, we just met a little bit on my door, but uh, how are you doing this morning, Christy? You okay this morning? You all right? Yeah, doing doing fine. Um, you know, just normal second trimester pregnancy <laughs> stuff so i <laughs> can't complain right, right brian i saw you flying in this morning everything okay yeah no g going good uh trying to trying to stay busy you know trying to uh i got a big old tour tomorrow so i'm, I'm looking forward to that so right uh, you got one this afternoon too right uh no i that's not me today so oh okay, okay. that's all good that'll and that'll allow me to um uh when the podcast actually publishes uh, it's coming out today so oh, uh, you look at you the same day we're recording it so yeah i gotta gotta get that out that you know the last friday of the month sort of deal yeah. yeah yeah well we hope that you are enjoying those of you that are listening we hope you're enjoying these podcasts we see your comments on youtube uh we even see your comments on facebook so thank you so much for following along thank you so much for supporting our channel, supporting our podcast, supporting our organization. If you've been to us before, which more than likely you have, which is why you're listening, uh, we thank you so much for your support, and we hope that you come back. We've got a lot going on. We'll cover those things towards the end, but Christy, I'm ready to dive in. I think we've got uh, some really astonishing things. I, I think I'm... I think I'm more excited about Roman concrete, which isn't <laughs> as exciting as I would have thought I would be excited about. But Christy, let's talk a little bit about uh, let's talk about uh, an uncovered tomb. I mean, it is it's fascinating. Tell me about this uh, this recent excavation that took place. Yeah. So for those of you who are following Egyptian archaeology, you know that Sakura has been a huge ongoing excavation. They've been finding all kinds of stuff the last year or two at this site. And so those digs are still ongoing and they've just uncovered another New Kingdom lavish tomb. And if you remember from previous podcasts, this is the same excavation ongoing site where they found multiple new books of the dead. Um, oh, wow. and, um, right. so there's this huge necropolis there and this is where the, the famous step period pyramid, isn't it? There's a couple of them. So which, right. which, well, the, the, the Joser, isn't it the Joser that's there? The Jose. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that one. Yeah. And, um, the, the thing about this tomb that is just so exciting for me is that the mortuary temple is still kind of there. So for those of you who are are unfamiliar with Egyptian kind of death practices is after the tomb was constructed and a loved one was interred inside, they would build a, a chamber on the outside of the tomb where that loved ones could access, usually painted with reliefs of your past loved one interacting with family, living in the afterlife, and sweet memories of them during their lifetime. And this is where you would leave your, your loved one offerings of food and drink uh, to sustain them in the afterlife and offer up prayers to the gods and to your loved one. 
they believed that you could pray to your deceased loved one who could kind of intervene uh, on your behalf from the afterlife, whether it was protection, provision, intervene, talk to the gods for you. So, so they have this whole mortuary temple that they uncovered as well. To my knowledge, those are not commonly found just because since that art of the tomb is so exposed, it's where anyone can see it. That's usually one of the first things to go. So the fact that that this um, was still standing and it's built of mud brick too, you know, mud brick doesn't last <laughs> very well. So it's built of mud brick and it, but it has limestone slabs that help cover it with colorful reliefs. Now it, it's not entirely intact. It is still in pieces. But this I mean, person, it's 3,300 years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But this, this, whoever. Where's a warranty? Lies, um, this person. A warranty was on a graveyard foyer. <laughs> warranty. Yeah. It, it, this person was so important that it wasn't just their family taking care of them after their, their death. This person, uh, by the way, was named Penesi. I'm probably not pronouncing that right. His wife named Baya. And there was also a, a priest that was interred. But the priest is kind of important too, because this person who passed away, whoever Penesi was, was so important that it wasn't just his family taking care of him in the afterlife. There was a whole priest and a priesthood revolving around his tomb and so this this person it says it says in the reliefs and stuff he was the overseer of a temple so that must have been a very high status or a very important position or this person must have been very wealthy for a priest to be looking after his tomb not just his family hmm. any any guesses as to any guesses for you or within the community why uh it's in such immaculate condition is because it was taken care of maybe long after his death. Is that the reason? Any, any guesses as to why it's so, um, so good. That's probably one reason why, although it was, it was eventually looted. So it's not like, well, yeah, yeah. Granted fully intact. But one of the reasons why the mortuary temple is still standing is because it wasn't just abandoned after, you know, one or two generations of use. Mm -hmm this priest's family probably would have kept up the care of this tomb for several generations hmm. of of their family's life. Because usually, too, when you're taking care of a funerary tomb like this as a priest, we believe that there was probably a stipend that came with that mm. from the estate of the deceased to make sure that that tomb was properly maintained for a very long time. So that might be the way that this this priest's family made their living for a while. Now, I know um, some well, pharaohs were considered gods, and all throughout mythology, Greek, and I think Norse, people are elevated to the status of gods. Is there any indication that this one guy buried there was elevated to that, to that position, maybe? No, no. Okay. Um, we don't see that quite as often in Egypt. Usually the only people ah. considered gods in Egypt that are, are human people are the pharaoh and his eldest son who will take over after him. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's that's usually it. Um, but the fact that this guy was an overseer of a temple makes him a very important person. Most property in ancient Egypt was not held. There really wasn't private property, especially mm. in the New Kingdom. All land was owned by the pharaoh or the priests, the priests servicing temples and things like that. That was the only kind of private, what we would think of as private property. Everybody else is kind of what we would consider to be sharecropping for the priests or for the pharaoh. And then they were allowed to keep a percentage of what they grew on the land or or animals that they they raised on the land to provide for their families but the rest was kind of what we would consider to be taxes today or payment for being allowed to live on the land is this is this an ongoing thing christy is sakara always going through research and excavations i mean because 
throughout the years, you've noticed that there's been significant insight into the Egyptian culture, the art, religious practices that constantly take place at Saqqara. It is a it, it is the place that is constantly going. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So I believe it was in the last couple of years. I can't remember when they first started digging at Saqqara recently. Um, it has been kind of off and on, off and on, off and on. Like with a lot of dig sites, you know, you have to get funding that comes in. Right, People right. have to be available. COVID happens, you know. <laughs> so Which hopefully won't happen again. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you have to kind of, work around those things. But uh, in the past several years, definitely Saqqara has been a a huge ongoing excavation by the Egyptian Antiquities Authority, just because it's it's what I like to call a juicy site. Mm, There's right. always something else that you could find, especially with the necropolis. So just to define some terms, a necropolis is what we would consider to be a cemetery. So you have the acropolis of a city where there's like <laughs> a, usually a temple and a palace. And then there's like the necropolis, which is usually outside the city where you bury your dead. So just to clarify. Is it another juicy subject since you talk about those juicy subjects? Is it fair to say that the Sakara bird uh, is is an incredibly juicy topic because it sparks debates about early aviation in ancient uh, Egypt. Have you Whoa, early aviation? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not familiar with this. Have you heard of that? No. Okay, okay. Well, I have to come back to that. I'm going to show you. Uh, I'm going to show you some research on that. Uh, I'll send it over. I know you'd love when I send over oh, research yeah. items. Usually <laughs> <laughs> well, very entertaining. Well, I'll um, say this, that was certainly uh, an exciting thing that has taken place. And I know that's, you know, it's it's a constant thing that happens in the archaeological world, that there's constant findings, constant, just uh, so many new discoveries taking place. And, and it's our job, I believe, as the Biblical History Center, to keep an ear to the ground, a very close ear to the ground, to see what's happening, of course, uh, throughout the world. Yeah. Uh, anything you want to add on Saqqara by any chance? Well, there's two things. So firstly, you know, you might be wondering, okay, this is the Biblical History Center, so what on earth does right. an Egyptian archaeological discovery have to do with what we do here? Well, this is a New Kingdom discovery, so this is when we would expect to see, you know, depending on the exact year, because the New Kingdom went on for a quite some time, this is the this is the nation that we see enslaving the Israelites. This is the nation that we see hmm. the Exodus occur in. This is the nation that we see, you know, fighting with the Israelites in the book of, of I can't remember if it's first or second Kings. And so these, the people that we're reading about are interacting with people in, in scripture. And this is the culture that they were interacting with. So it gives us a better understanding of the biblical world as a whole, as opposed to just focusing in on one little country. Anyway. Oh, and then the other thing I wanted to mention too is, <laughs> sorry. I, I saw, I'm sorry. I, I saw you there processing. So yeah. I didn't want to interrupt because I interrupted just... earlier. I didn't <laughs> want to interrupt. I'm sorry. I should have jumped okay. in. My apologies. But wow. Yeah, yeah. But another reason why this is so important too to us, this site, is because, like I mentioned earlier, they did find a lot of books of the dead at this site, which was intended to be a almost magical kind of guide for the deceased to get to the afterlife, to help them make it past the judgment and, and achieve peace in the afterlife. And so if you want to come see what a book of the dead would look like, come to the oh, biblical history one. center. Yeah. We have a replica of the specifically the Hennifer book of the dead in it's hanging in our archeological replica gallery. So come on and check it out. 
Second article that we've got here is the Egyptian excavation reveals a Byzantine monastery. Now, from my understanding, I I guess I didn't realize, and I, mean, I guess that makes sense that the Byzantines were in Egypt. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so t- tell us a little bit more about that. Of, of so, I guess really that's just cool. something I didn't realize. Um, it's in central Egypt, and there's a couple different layers to this site. I mean, most archaeological sites, if you have multiple layers of habitation, there's a couple different layers there. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's any place that's been inhabited for any amount of time. So this the tombs that are on the lower level are from the first millennium BCE or BC. And uh, the next layer on top of that is a Byzantine monastery. So there are a couple of things that are really cool about this. So the tombs are very, very old. They're from the old kingdom um, and the middle kingdom of of Egypt. And it was local monarchs. So this is more Mm -hmm. like disunified Mm -hmm. Egypt who would have only ruled in that region not a huge number, but still very important people. And this is um, Lower Egypt, right? You said about Middle Egypt, south of Cairo. Yeah. So it's, okay. It's it's in. Uh, let me. The specific town that it's in is Astiut, um, which is in Central Egypt now, but I think would have been considered Upper Egypt back then. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and so the upper strata of the excavation is a Byzantine monastery, and uh, it seems like some of the tombs even dated to the late period of. Egypt's history, which was about 664 to 332 BCE. Oh, wow. Um, so it's only like wooden wooden coffins, no big stone yeah. sarcophagi. So the cool thing about this to me is, well, firstly, they found some cool stuff in the tombs, even though it was a super poor state of preservation, probably due to the fact that the coffins were made out of wood uh, and had another structure of, built on top of it, you high know. <laughs> traffic area. Um, but they did find painted face masks and several decorated pieces of coffin, even though much of the coffin had decayed. So it would have been mm-hmm. very colorful, bright, what you would expect from ancient Egypt. And then the the grave goods included, you know, beads, mirrors, clay pots, other things like that that you would expect to see. But I think this is just a wonderful site because of the juxtaposition that we see <laughs> of yeah. pagan and Christian. And these were probably the same families. And people hmm. uh, living here. Just generations um, apart. Just, yeah, generations apart. And, and so it's evidence of early Christian practice for Egyptian cops who are, and cops, C-O-P-T-S. Okay, I was like, oh, are, what do the police have to do with it? No, <laughs> Egyptian you. cops. Because like the Coptic Christians. Yeah, yes. I'm, I'm familiar um, with that. So, so it just shows their antiquity, first of all, and huh. early practice. It's not some new thing that's just popped up. They've been practicing for quite some time. But the juxtaposition of the pagan, because you're worshiping the deceased at these tombs, and the Christian with the monastery, I think just shows the cultural revolution that came about yeah. in the first and second centuries AD throughout what was formerly the Roman Empire. And mm-hmm. by the time the monastery is built, you know, Christianity is legal and and the official era of our religion of the era. So we see that that takeover. And so this is something too I want to point out is that the cops that we see, the Coptic Christians in Egypt, they're the original Egyptians. Mm-hmm. They're considered lower class citizens by many in Egypt today, but they are the original old school Egyptians that we study in school. So when you when you picture uh, Ramses or something like that, picture him looking similar to the Coptic Christians we still see in Egypt today. Oh, wow. um, 
most other other people groups that we see have come from outside of the nation. So, for example, um, a lot of the the Muslims that live there today came from Arabia, and then we even see some of the the ancient Egyptians, uh, you know, depicted looking more like people from the kingdom of Kush, and that's mm-hmm. because there were a couple of Kushite uh, invasions putting their own pharaohs on the throne um, that we see in in ancient Egypt. But for the most part, when you picture an ancient Egyptian, he probably looked like the Coptic Christians that we see today. One of my biggest questions that just immediately is, why? Why would they build a church on top of these ruins? Or uh, did they? Is this a co-op space, or did they literally build on top of it? When uh, so, it's not a co-op levels? space. They okay. definitely built on top of the tombs. Something that might have happened is, especially if if these are from the later periods of Egypt's mm-hmm. history, looting was such a problem that you try and make it. To where you cannot see the tomb it's mm. completely hidden because you don't mm-hmm. want it to be desecrated so it's possible that these monks didn't even know that this graveyard was here uh when they built the monastery it's possible huh. now as far as i know there's no indication that there was a mortuary temple or anything like that indicating that this was a burial area so in that case it would be very easy to overlook that they were hidden so well it would be very easy to overlook any indication that there might be a tomb there had a funerary temple been present which again there's no indication that there was this might have been intentional just co again co-opting a, mm-hmm. a pagan space for christian purpose but uh to me there's not enough evidence to to claim that it just seems to me like this seems like a good spot to build yeah a yeah yeah let's it do is. it yeah, good um, spot for a religious uh, religious place, uh, either the dead or the or the living. So yeah, yeah, and something that we see too is lots of monasteries are are they attempt to build them in out of the way places so that the monks that are living there can really focus on religion and on mm. Christ and on study. Whereas, where do you want to build a tomb? <laughs> you don't want to build it in the middle of town. You want to build it in an out of the way place so that no one loots it and all this other kind of stuff. So it, I think it's just a matter of these two things usually need the same kind of out of the way, but yet convenient. So you don't miss out on food trade and stuff like that spot. So I, that's probably how it happened. Again, not a hundred percent certain, but that's my guess. Yeah, no, and that makes, that makes sense. Um, are we good to move on to the, uh, the concrete? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, there he is. I was about to come out to see where see ya. All right, guys. They had a little bit of a plumbing issue. Chrissy, thank you so much for that. I I've been so incredibly intrigued uh with this one specifically, but I think I'm more intrigued uh on the Roman concrete. I, I I've always uh wondered, right? And I'm so glad this has come up. And I'm I'm very grateful that you pulled it up. Uh, because I mean, it's it's building material used by the ancient Romans uh, and the late Roman Republic uh, to the Roman Empire. I mean, uh, what are some things that jumps out at you? I mean, for me, I, I think it's it's the volcanic ash uh, that is that is brought in, right? The the pozzolana as as it's broken down. As uh, anything on you or Brian? Does anything jump out at you guys on the Roman concrete? So when this first came out. I think back in March, I totally nerded out. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was going around the office going, I knew it. I knew it. Um, I so, mean, it's, it's, it's so, increases in strength. It's resistant to water. It's, it yeah. has the ability to sit underwater. Oh, okay. I mean, so, yeah. so, 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 Christy, so for the uninformed, uh, uh, so, what happened? Roman concrete. Okay. So here's the thing with Roman concrete there. They didn't use any rebar or any structure 
inside of it to keep it together. And yet for thousands of years, sometimes 2000 years, we see these unreinforced concrete structures still standing. And it's been noticed that they even have self-healing properties. If a crack appears, if water, enough water runs through it, the crack will heal itself. Roman concrete was unique in the ancient world for this reason, but also because it would even set underwater. It would, so they were able to build these massive, you know, cities like Caesarea Maritima that have stood the test of time. Probably another popular example of Roman concrete would be the Parthenon, or the, sorry, yes. the Pantheon, not the Parthenon. <laughs> yes, the yes. Pantheon in Rome. And it's the world's largest unreinforced concrete dome, but it's lasted for 2000 years. Modern concrete, it's breaking down in a few years, maybe a mm-hmm. decade, you know, if you're lucky. And so what, for years, thousands of years at this point, scholars have been wondering, what is the secret? Because th- we don't, we didn't know why this worked or how it worked. And honestly, we don't think the no- Romans knew how it worked either. They just knew that they had found a really good concrete mixture. <laughs> so it turns out there was, it's made out of volcanic rock and mortar from volcanic ash, lime and water. Um, and because of the way that it was mixed, the the lime would stay kind of chunky in the concrete, which you would think would be a flaw, right? You want nice, evenly mixed concrete. But it turns out that the unincorporated lime that we used to think was just sloppy mixing or poor concrete making, that's been what has been saving this concrete because the lime, when the water runs through like a crack or a hole that might occur just due to time in the concrete it the when the water runs through it it picks up the pieces of lime and puts them in that crack so if the water runs through it long enough it's repaired wow and so i knew it was lime i didn't know how but i knew it was (laughs) lime uh is what i wanted to say because you go through these old you know spanish forts and stuff i grew up in florida and you see the lime from the mortar creating stalactites and stalagmites just running through just dripping off the walls um because it it's you know water is congregating in these old hallways and things like that and it's it's just dripping through everything it it makes so much sense um because you can see it right. in action even in in modern structures that have lime uh in their mortar or in their stone so it just it's so crazy i was so excited guys Right. No, the durability behind it. I mean, it's, it's absolutely, it's incredible. You're absolutely. It's astounding. And I I think the Romans knew that they had a really good product (laughs) when they made concrete. I don't think they realized how good it was. Like, I don't think if we had gone back and been like, Hey, Roman construction workers, you know, do you, how long do you think this building is going to last? You know, do you think it's going to last 2000 years? I don't know that they would have agreed with us, but it has, Mm. it's just an incredible product. Now, do you think this is concrete that we could incorporate into our modern society and modern culture? Because I know some 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 things are just really hard to make and you can't really industrialize it. it. Is this one of them or is this something that you could see modern America and modern society incorporating? I'm not sure we would be able to industrialize this just because of some of the ingredients needed, like that much volcanic rock and ash in hmm. most parts of the world are not going to be easy to come across. Whereas in Rome, you know, you've got... Mount Vesuvius and a bunch of other volcanoes. Yeah, you got like six volcanoes within 10 miles. (laughs) Not not quite, but yeah. So like where, like for example, here in Georgia, LaGrange, Georgia, where are we going to get volcanic ash? Uh, St. Helens, maybe? Yeah, it's like (laughs) 
Montana. Yeah. Uh, literally the other side of the continental United States, almost as far away as you could get from us. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure that it's practical for modern means, but it would be cool if they could figure out a way to, to work yeah. that out. It definitely would be more sustainable if they can figure it out. Yeah. Something that just wows me. And I, and I tell our, uh, our, some of our guests about this as, as we go through is just, kind of the the arrogance of the modern era and modern science is to where the Romans had it figured out thousands of years ago and it just it, it just kind of got lost and we think we have the best concrete ever and where that's uh, the average human thinks um well the average guy thinks we uh we have all the the scientific achievement well that's true but some of the basic stuff is uh still lacking on that and just the concept of having the history people know more than us in regards to this is just yeah. kind of a foreign concept to a lot of people. Well, I think that's one mistake that a lot of modern people make is that, you know, we have all this technology, we're so advanced, we know uh, right. so much more than the ancients. And the reality is a lot of us have something to learn by going back and reading, you know, Augustine or Boethius mm-hmm. or some of these ancient sources, Pliny, Marcus Aurelius. We could all learn a lot. Um, just because they are older and we have different technology now doesn't mean that they don't have some wise or knowledgeable information for us to learn. A very good point. And I think that's I think that's why um, we've, I mean, if I could say it this way, we've got to stay hungry, right? Yeah. That's why we've got to stay hungry. I think that's why we've got to look to our past, uh, look at the past so we don't make, uh, you know, decisions that were made in the past and and look forward and we don't commit those errors once again. But I think even us here, if we bring it locally, we bring it back to our organization. I think it's why we uh, internally stay so hungry, wanting to find out and keep our ear to the ground, as I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. Uh, even in turn, take that information and put it back out to our guests, uh, making various exhibits, implementing new exhibits, implementing new programs, new tours, uh, things of that nature, because we want our guests, uh, even ourselves, to stay informed, to stay educated, to find out what's 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 gone on in the past and how it's relevant to us today in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's that's a, a, a challenge for sure for the program department, a challenge for me, uh, even on Brian's side in media and how mm-hmm. to bring uh, the past alive. And I think, Brian, you've done an excellent job oh, uh, in doing that uh, since we've had you here. Uh, I, I did mention earlier when we started the mm-hmm. podcast that uh, Brian is leaving us. Uh, mm-hmm. He's leaving us on good terms for sure. Uh, we're going to do some some food a little bit. We're going <laughs> to do some pizza and, and of course, wish you well. But Brian, uh, on behalf of the Biblical History Center, on behalf of your boss, who is on the other side of the microphone, uh, and, and including me, we just want to say thank you for the level of work that you put in, mm. uh, in the videos, in the podcasts, and uh, the the details that we don't see that you've mm-hmm. caught on to, even upon arrival, you read the, some videos for us and the kids dig. Uh, I think you, you've done a very, very, uh, very good job. You have certainly taken uh, what you have been given and you have polished it up. And we're very grateful uh, that you have polished us uh, better than <laughs> what we were before, Brian. So on behalf of, uh, of me, on behalf of the organization, even our listeners, thank you for all your hard work. Uh, we'll miss seeing your work and we'll see how we'll be able to make this happen once again <laughs> and continue to bring everyone content. 
because uh, as I say, content, maybe content, let's get it out there. Mm -hmm. uh, and it matters. Uh, so, Brian, I don't know if you want to say some things to those that are listening, uh, but we certainly wanted to express our appreciation to you. Well, well, uh, well, well thank you. As as a lot of our tour guides do our, our, our towards our meal, it's uh, you do me honor in saying that. And I, I really appreciate it. You, you honor me. It's been an honor to... Uh, uh, take all of our guests through here on the tours. It's been an honor to do the YouTube channel. It's been an honor to learn on uh, stuff that I need to grow through and uh, um, and just really push the channel as best I can. It's it's definitely been a learning experience, and uh, uh, the past year has been a joy. And uh, I'm just thankful <laughs> thankful that you brought me on board. Uh, it, it, it's been a fun time. So uh, um, I'm going on to uh, to uh, to work for my dad. I got a little one on the way. Um, right, so right. gotta, gotta be able Rats, to, yes. yeah, gotta be able to provide for them. So I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I've been able to help you guys make an impact here. Help, help, it, help further the, the BHC as, as, as much as I've been able to, but I'll, I, as I, as I said in my message the other day, I'll be rooting for you guys on the sidelines. And, uh, I, I definitely want to, uh, bring people here one day, um, uh, bring people back here. Just, Hey, you ought to go visit there. Cause it's an awesome place. So. Thank you, Brian. No, no, no. We we applaud your work, and and you've gotten a lot of great reviews and on your tours. Uh, Christy has brought those to me, and Brian. Again, uh, we we appreciate all that you've done, all that you'll continue to even do for others in other uh, positions and other work. Uh, uh, and uh, again, Brian, we truly appreciate all that you've done. And with that being said, as we talk about content, as we talk about upcoming things that are happening here at the Biblical History Center, uh, we started our ancient world tours uh, back in April, and they'll run through October. We do have a special event that we'll be uh, marketing very soon, and it connects with The Chosen. I, it is, mm -hmm. I am allowed to say that now. I am allowed to put that out there. You should be seeing some things, those of you that are listening, you should be seeing some things very soon as to how the Biblical History Center and the world famous, if I could use that term, uh, the Chosen series connects with the Biblical History Center. Uh, it will somehow will very soon come to fruition here to us. So if you're interested in coming back, we've got the ancient world tours happening as well as our meals, among other things such as Kids Dig Time Tunnel Tours, uh, shepherd's breads, uh, even some events. I believe we've got a virtual uh, lecture coming up very soon as well. Is that correct, Christy? Uh, that's uh, in the works right now. So our next virtual lecture is going to be in August. Yes. Um, I believe it's August 4th with Pastor Adam Camp. Last summer, he gave us a lecture on how the Bible came to us, and we enjoyed it so much, we decided that, that was going to be a part one because he he took it all the way up through the Dead Sea Scrolls um, and how those were discovered. Um, and now he's going to take it through, I believe, the Reformation and how we got the Bible in vernacular languages as opposed to just Greek and Hebrew. So um, I'm excited to to bring that lecture to you guys in August. Right. And summer is here. Uh, we have we continue our summer series as far as steam days. I believe we've got fishing in the ancient world coming up, ancient art, ancient foods, textiles, uh, and of course, as we lead into Hanukkah and all, uh, all the things that come along with that, we are just excited that we are still able to bring you these items uh, as an organization who is focused, our mission 
is on bringing people uh, to the ancient world and educating on the ancient world. So, uh, folks, if you are in town, if you're making plans this summer, where to go on the way to the beach. Now, uh, if I could create a billboard uh, that would work. <laughs> It was stop by before you get to the beach. I would say stop by the Biblical History Center before you get to the beach as as you, uh, you know, uh, not only get to know an organization that has recently acquired Best of Georgia, uh, Best Top Museum in Georgia, as well as uh, Top, we just finished, right? Top three in the nation with USA Today mm -hmm. uh, as a top religious museum in the country. Uh, very, very humbled by that. We're grateful that we have the ability uh, to have the guests and the patrons that we have. Uh, so with that being said, uh, from us to, uh, to you, thank you again for joining us. Uh, Christy, you have any last words by any chance? Um, just first of all, thank you to Brian for um, doing these podcasts with us. <laughs> and we wish you all the best as you move forward in your new uh, job and your new role as a father. And we're excited for you and happy for you and um, can't wait to see what God's going to do through you uh, in that way. And, and kiss you. your sleep goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and, so I've been told all those horror stories, you know. And uh, I just want to also say thank you to our listeners for, for tuning in and hope you'll tune in again next time. All right, guys. Well, thanks again. Have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy your Memorial Day and God bless you all. <laughs>